0: Would you join with me in prayer dear lord i thank you so much for your word that never changes thank you for your spirit that dwells us and i just pray lord you fill us with your spirit open our hearts up to you even as we open up your word to our hearts i give you this time be glorified in jesus name amen on this day in 235 a.d general maximus thrax that's a great name isn't it general maximus thrax was named Roman emperor basically because he was in charge of the armies and marched on Rome and the Praetorian Guard decided he was now emperor. On this day in 673, Tenmu was declared the heavenly emperor of Japan, the first living man to be called that because that's usually a posthumous title because his armies marched on the capital and took the throne away from the emperor that was ruling and had only been there for like I don't know, three months, something like that. On this day in 1208 A.D., Michael IV, Otto Rayonas was uh, consecrated as the patriarch of Constantinople and immediately that same day crowned Theodore I Laskaris to be the emperor of Nicaea. And he said, anybody who fights for Theodore I, anybody who dies for Theodore I, gets an immediate passport to heaven and all their sins completely forgiven, no matter what they've done. I don't care whether you're a pastor or a priest or a pope or a patriarch, you don't really get to do that, but that's okay. Because history is replete with people who have taken the emperorship by force of arms, right? This day, today, is replete with people who have taken the emperorship by force of arms and all the toadies that helped them the nature of mankind the fallen nature of mankind and as we as we begin our march today toward resurrection sunday um it's worth looking at maybe just for a little bit this idea of how different our lord is how different he was the king of all kings as he was facing his own coronation here as he's facing his own being lifted up before his fellow man as he was facing being called king of kings by his fellow man, as he's facing his own trials leading up to his death, how did he do that differently? How did he do that differently than the world would do it? If you remember, uh, we talked not too often long ago about this early hymn that Paul quoted at the beginning of Colossians, where he talked about Jesus saying, by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities all things were created by him and for him he's before all things and in him all things hold together he's the head of the body the church and he's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy when we're talking about jesus we're not just talking about some kind of royal prince we're not talking about a king we're not Just talking about an emperor we're talking about the sovereign the supreme ruler over everything who created everything for whom everything was created who sustains everything all thrones and powers and rulers and authorities and emperors are under him i can't you can't bang that drum loudly enough right that's what that hymn is saying it's like all of it every atom in the universe everything if there was ever anybody ever who had the right to say, okay, this is all mine, and just take it by force of arms. That would be Jesus. But when faced with many trials, literal trials at the end of his life, Jesus didn't storm the castle like modern action heroes would. Jesus didn't march on the capital with his armies like Maximus Thrax did. That's what the world would do. We actually see that going on in our world, don't we? But when faced with various trials, literal trials at the end of his life, Jesus demonstrated not a force of arms, but a force of character. And I would really like to see more of that in the leadership that we have in this planet. I would really love to see our leaders and influencers by whom we are led and influenced every day would really love to see that kind of force of character so this morning and for the next couple of weeks as we're leading up to resurrection sunday let's look at the force of character that jesus brought into these trials in matthew 26 and feel free to go there with me if you want in matthew chapter 26 verse 30 after their last supper together jesus and his disciples went out to the mount of olives they went just across the kidron valley the valley of shadow from jerusalem a place that jesus knew really well and in verse in verse 31 jesus told them this very night you will all fall away on account of me for it's written in zechariah 13 7 i will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered but after i have risen i will go ahead of you into galilee let me let me tell you from scripture what's going to happen next he says as they cross the the valley of death, as they walked past the tombs of kings in the Kidron Valley. He says, I'm going to die. You're all going to desert me. But then I'm going to rise again to meet you in Galilee. So I want you to remember, not me! (laughs) Peter, being Peter, nope, 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 nope. Even if everybody else falls away on account of you, I never will. Let me just interrupt and make that clear. You're totally wrong, Lord keeps doing that. I love Peter. He keeps doing it. You're wrong, Lord. Scripture that you're quoting is wrong, Lord. You're talking about rising from the dead, and, and, and I'm kind of stuck on what your words indicate about me as a person. I'm going to rise from the dead. Yeah, I'm not a bad person, okay? Right. They're going to kill me. I'm going to rise from the I'm a good person. I can't. I can't get past what you're saying enough to listen to what you're saying jesus had to have sighed i gotta think that there's a lot of jesus sighing in the bible there's a lot of verse such and such and a half and he sighed i tell you the truth seriously peter jesus answered this very night before the rooster crows you're going to disown me three times i'm telling you the capital t truth here i'm not just suggest i'm telling you what's going to happen Anyway, Peter he said, no, nope, even if I have to die with you, I'm never going to disown you. And all the other disciples said, yeah, me too. Nobody went, yeah, I think I probably will. No, they're all, no, we all, we're all going to, we're all so certain that you're wrong, Lord. You're our Lord, and we believe in you. We believe in you so much that we can't believe you. human stinking nature i believe in you so much that we can't believe what you're telling us because we don't technically believe in you we believe in all the stuff we believe about you all the stuff that we've decided about you we are totally putting our faith in that put your faith in what i'm saying yeah i can't because we believe all those things that we believe about you so loudly that we can't believe you so Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. I am I am about as low and as brokenhearted as you could possibly be, as I've ever been, guys. But you're my you're my closest friend, you're my two cousins. Be with me. Stand with me. Be here with me. Keep watch with me as I go through this trial. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground, on his face to the the ground, and, and and prayed, My Father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. Because as much as he was leaning on some of the strength of his friend and his two cousins, saying, I need family, I need my friend here, he sought his Father what I really need is I need to talk to the, to, the, to the God and Father who is sovereign over all this. I, I want to be patently, blatantly honest. Don't ever not be honest in a prayer. I mean, you, you ever feel like you almost have to couch things in a prayer? You're like, well, I, mean, I don't want to say it like that. God doesn't need your eloquence. He already knows what's going on in your heart. And if by eloquence you mean spin doctoring, it doesn't help. He's like, Father, I don't want to do this. I don't. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. I don't want to do this, but this is why I came, and I'm willing to do this, but I really don't want to. Remember last week when we talked about there's what you know? There's what you know really goodly There's what you know you should be doing with what you know, and then there's what you actually end up doing, right? It takes wisdom, it takes self-discipline to do the right thing under hard circumstances. To be able to look at the heavy cavalry coming at you and put your foot on the on, on the on the spear and stand. It it takes wisdom and self-discipline. It takes that God-given ability to see life with rare objectivity and to handle life with rare stability that we talked about last week. Which suggests that if you're wanting to get through that, you should do what? If it really is truly a God-given ability to have that kind of wisdom, what should you do? Seek it from God, right? Ask for that? Say, God, I could use a little wisdom? Solomon did that. Jesus is both wise and self-disciplined. And his best friend and his two cousins, he returned to those disciples and found them sleeping. He's like, seriously? implied in the Greek. Seriously, could you men not keep watching with me for one hour, he asked Peter. This is my trial, guys. This is is your trial too. I mean, you're being tempered and tested here the same as I am. See what your faith is like. Guys, watch and pray that you're not gonna fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, the body is weak. Do not trust your ability to muscle through this, guys. He went away for a second time and prayed, My Father, if it, if it isn't possible for this cup to be taken away, because I really don't want to do this, but if it isn't possible to be, for it to be taken away unless I drink it, then may your will be done. I really do what, I, I, I want what I want. But what I want more, Lord, is to want what you want. I I don't want to do this. But even more than I don't want to do this, I want to do what you want. That's the smart move. That's the right move. That's the wise move. That's the God-honoring move. That's the force of character that we see. And that's what we're going to keep seeing. There's what what I would want to do naturally, but what I really want is to want what you want. And when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy, which is the most condescending way to say this. Like, oh, poor widow guys. You must be sleepy. Like, Don't fall asleep, okay? You know, but we was just—I mean, it was just so hard. Like, Seriously. So he left them and went away once more. Prayed a third time, saying the same thing. And then he returned to the disciples and said to them, "You're still sleeping. You're still resting." Look, the hour is near. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let's go. Here comes my betrayer. You had your trial, guys. This is my trial. You were being tempted and tested as well to see what your faith is like. And we saw. You have no perseverance. We saw your weakness. Guys, you had one chance at this. No, you have three chances at this. And he dropped the ball three times, even after I asked him not to. And while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. And with him was a large crowd, armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. You know, a force of arms, because that's, that's what you do in the world, right? You want to overcome something, you to. You, that's how things work. You have to have a force of arms, right? Pointy sticks. Isn't that the way the world works? Now, when the betrayer had arranged a signal with them, he, he said, the one that I kiss, that's a common greeting back in the day, but it's also a good way in the dark to make sure you've got the right guy to get up real close. The one that I kiss is the man. You go arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, greetings, rabbi, and kissed him. And Jesus replied, probably, with another sign, Friend, do what you came for. And I really don't think he's being ironic here. I don't think he's being sarcastic here. I don't think he's going, aren't you a great friend? I genuinely think he looks at Judas and sees my friend. You've been with me. You've been one of my disciples. You're my friend. You didn't have to do this. You're not a sock puppet. Nobody's forcing you to do this. You're making a choice. But if you're making this choice, God is using that choice. And this is part of God's plan. But you're still my friend. Because let's be honest, all the disciples are dropping the ball tonight, aren't they? All the disciples are failing at their weakest points tonight. He just got finished saying, my, my, my buddy, my, my cousins, my family, guys, you just dropped the ball, and here's Judas. Okay, buddy, what? You do your thing now. I can't very well sit there and go, you are uniquely horrible. It's like, they're all screwing it up. I genuinely think he's saying, you're still my friend. It's going to end badly for you, though. And the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. And with that, one of Jesus' companions, and to the surprise of absolutely nobody, John's Gospel says, It was Peter. (laughs) With that, Peter reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Because that's what you do. It's force of arms, right? We will succeed. They come at you with spears and pointy sticks and swords. We will pull out our swords and we will have an action scene. That's what what you're going to do, right? That's that's how this works. Every TV show, every action movie. That's what you do. That's what heroes do. Great men do. You fight the bad guys by force of arms. And anybody else who wouldn't do that is some kind of coward. Right? Because your two choices are to with pointed sticks or crumple is there another choice to have at them and slash or to crumple in fear those are the only two right put your sword back in its place jesus said to him for all who draw the sword are going to die by the sword that's what the world does is that is that what you think the kingdom of god is is that what you want the kingdom of god to be Is that what it's ever been? Is if we can just fight hard enough with our swords, then we win. We're ambassadors of a much better place than that, a much deeper, richer, better place. And Jesus says, it's not always about trying to prove who's got the sharpest swords, guys. I mean, it's pretty clear who's strongest on the battlefield, isn't it? Jesus doesn't feel the need to prove anything. Did he ever in his ministry, feel the need to prove anything. And yet, we still want to do it for him. God says, I, I really don't feel the need to prove myself. And we go, okay, how do I prove God? God goes, no, I I, I don't need to bring out end swords and fight. Oh, then I will. I believe in your cause so much that I will absolutely disregard every priority you have. We're reaching out for those people. Yeah, to kill them. No, no, we want to bring them in. There are two kinds of human beings on the planet right now. Those who are your brothers and sisters, no matter how much you disagree with them, and those who you wish could be. Yes? But if they come at you with heavy cavalry, you should come at them with sharpened swords. Because you believe so hard in God's cause that you can't believe in God's word. Do you really think I couldn't call on my father, Jesus says, and he wouldn't at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? I mean, we would dwarf the forces of Rome in sheer numbers, and any angel is worth a legion of Romans, and much less this tiny little rabble we've got here in the garden tonight. Seriously, do you really think that God needs you to fight his battles for him? Do you really? Yes. No. Yes? I don't understand the question. Besides then, he says, how how would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it has to happen this way? By fighting the way the world fights, you would fight so hard for God's will that you would abandon God's will to do it? It's God's will that I die here. Yeah, we'll protect you then. Why? Because you're so important. So, you want to fight for God's will so much that you would abandon God's will to do it. John's Gospel says, Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Is that what you want? Guys, this is why I came. I literally just prayed about this. Literally did. And if I ever needed a clearer sign that God is like, Yep. You need to drink from this cup. Yep, this is what needs to happen. You're proving it to me right now. This is the clearest sign I could possibly imagine. We're told here in chapter 26 of Matthew, verse 55, at that time, Jesus said to the crowd, guys, am I leading a rebellion or something? Have I, have I been jangling a saber here? Have I been leading some sort of force of arms that you've come out with swords and clubs to capture me? You do know every stinking day I've been at the temple courts teaching. You didn't do anything. I have cleansed the temple twice and no guards ever stopped me. I was tossing over tables. I made a whip and nobody did nothing. You just assume that you needed to be all sneaky and sneak up and catch me unaware because otherwise I would fight you in God's temple. Do you really think I'm trying to overthrow Rome, overthrow the temple? All this has taken place so that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. That's that's why I'm doing this. And then all the disciples deserted him and fled, just like he told them that they would back in verse 31. Like they all said, no, never scamper, 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 scamper. And those who arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled. Now, first, technically, they stopped over at Annas' house, because he was the deposed high priest, remember? He's the, the he's kind of the Godfather, sitting there running the mafia himself. He's like, yeah, I'm not, I got removed from office, but everybody, st- I'm still in charge. Everybody still bounces. They keep referring to him as high priest, even though Caiaphas is the high priest. But then they took him to Caiaphas and the and the great Sanhedrin, that 71 elders that are put together as a tribunal to make sure that everybody in Israel follows the law. They have a special place called the Hall of Hewn Stones that's uh, built into the north wall of the temple it's half in the sanctuary half outside of the sanctuary this funky idea of we're going to take god's law to the world and bring the world to god's law this isn't part of the temple and yet it is part of the temple so ironically he says guys i was in the temple all day every day you did nothing they're like well we're bringing you half into the temple so that we can fight you fight against god's messiah they had done nothing in broad daylight. And yet now that it was nighttime, now that it is technically illegal by their own law to try him, because any trial had to be open to the public. Closed trials were illegal, both from Rome and Jewish law. So in the middle of the night, they came, grabbed him, and dragged him in for an illegal show trial. Because their whole job was to make sure everybody followed the law, right? So they're breaking the law to show him how much he's broken the law. The easiest thing Christ could have possibly done is they say, you need to answer us and go, you're breaking the law. You can't do this. Isn't that what what Paul did eventually? They're they're starting to beat Paul and he's like, by the way, I'm a Roman citizen. They're like, what did we just do? But Paul was trying to make sure he used the law to give him a higher, larger standing, to give him a higher, larger audience. He just kept bumping it up to a higher court until he finally got to go to, to Rome to see the emperor. Jesus is like, yeah, I'm really not, I'm not even trying to play that game. I could have stopped this technically by going, this is illegal. What you're doing is illegal. He's faced trials with his friends, trials with his own heart, trials with Judas, trials with the soldiers. Now he's Facing a literal trial with the Sanhedrin. In all these, he has consistently said, okay, it's not what I want to get out of this. It's what God wants to accomplish here. I want to make sure I'm honoring God in everything that I'm doing. But now that he's facing the Sanhedrin itself, what's he going to do? Do you really think he's going to do something fundamentally different? Your situation may change, but your character doesn't. Right? Right? Peter followed him from a distance, at a distance, right? Up to the courtyard of the high priest, just outside the hall of hewn stones. And he entered and he sat down with the guards to see the outcome. We're going to come back to Peter next week. But the chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. How many things wrong can you see with that sentence, by the way? The the Sanhedrin, whose whole job it is to make sure that righteous judgments were made on behalf of God and God's people were looking for false evidence, so that they could support their ungodly judgment during an illegal show trial for the conclusion and the sentence that they already decided. Everything wrong, but they didn't find anything wrong. They had a lot of false witnesses come forward. Mark's gospel says, "Yeah," and they <laughs> even those guys didn't agree. They didn't do it well. But who cares about the truth? Who cares about capital T truth when you have so many damning facts to throw in there? I can smear Terry right and left if I wanted to. I could give you all sorts of facts. I mean, none of them are true, but who cares if the internet will repeat them over ad nauseum and over and over. I could make her look really bad. And I guarantee somebody would have, well, you know, She's in league with the aliens. I read it on the interweb. Who cares about truth? Could there, could there be anything more timely to look at when we look at what we do today than something like this where we say, Wait, there's going to be some of you in the Sanhedrin who are horribly corrupt. But I guarantee there were some guys that said, This is the right thing to do. Because this man is such a blasphemer. He dishonors God so much. He dishonors God so much we need to put him down. Even if it means we need to lie as the law body. And we need to do an illegal trial as the tribunal. And we need to use false evidence. And we need to to do everything God tells us not to do. Because we believe in God so much. That we're going to abandon him in defending him. Do we ever still tend to do that today? Is there anybody, even Gasp, within the church of Jesus Christ that is so focused on making sure that we defend Christ that you ignore everything he said about how to do it? What kind of kingdom do we want? What kind of king do we serve? I'm reminded that Moses said back in Deuteronomy, I will proclaim the name of Yahweh. Oh, praise the greatness of our God. He is the rock. His works are perfect. All his ways are just. A faithful God, a God of truth, who does no wrong. Upright and just is he. And the chief priests, even the high priest Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin, who were so committed to defending God against blasphemy, abandon righteousness and justice and truth all the way around so so focused on believing in what they believe that they couldn't believe god and if the sanhedrin could do that if judas could justify it if peter could do that and justify it can we be so certain that we are immune just naturally matthew 26 verse 50 uh, 60 Finally, two of these false witnesses came forward and declared, you know, this guy said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Which, of course, is not what he said, right? It's it's a little bit like what he'd said three years earlier, the first time that he'd cleansed the temple. John 2, we're told that in the temple courts, he... Jesus found men selling cattle and sheep and doves and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords, drove them all out of the temple area, both sheep and cattle, scattered the coins of the money changers, overturned their tables. And none of the temple guards did anything. But those who sold the doves, to those who sold the doves, he said, Get out of here! How dare you make my father's house into a market? You're undermining worship for a buck. You're taking... Worldly things, doing worldly things, but wrapping them in worship trappings so that it sounds like you're doing something holy. Oh, I'm helping people exchange their money so that they can give the temple tax. And you go, but you can't do that in the temple. And the Jews demanded of him, "Why? Well, what miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority to do this?" And Jesus said, "I, I don't. Really, you know what? Destroy this temple, I'll raise it up again in three days." And the Jews replied, "You know, it's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to..." raise it in three days. But the temple he was spoken of was his body, not that they were really listening. Here in Matthew 26, the the witnesses said, yeah, he said he was going to destroy the temple of God and then raise it up, which isn't what he said. Because ironically, what he actually said is that when they destroyed this temple of God, his body, that he would raise it up in three days. Their indictment of his supposed blasphemy was a distortion of his original indictment of their actual blasphemy it's like you guys will tear down this temple of god and i'll raise it up they're like see he said he's going to tear down the temple of god you're trying to indict me you indict yourselves you're the one tearing down the temple and then the high priest stood up and said are you not going to answer what's this testimony these men are bringing against you lies but jesus remained silent because what's he going to say their lies. Not that that's going to do any good. The high priest said to him, "I charge you, under oath by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Son of God." Jesus like, okay, well, if you just ask me, this is pointless. But if you actually charge me under oath by the living God, yeah, yep, this is what you said. I'm not going to lie. I'm going to honor God. And remember the classic way that they said the oath. Give glory to God by speaking the truth, they would say. Give glory to God. Speak the truth. Jesus is like, that's, that's actually the whole idea. Yep, give glory to God. Yep, that's, that's what I'm doing this whole time. You ask for the truth, I'll tell you the truth. Actually, you ask for the truth, I'm going, yeah, this is pointless. You say, give glory to God and speak the truth. You're like, okay, well then I will give glory to God. And since you're asking, I'll also say this to all of you, if you're wanting to hear the truth. In the future, you're going to see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming down on the clouds of heaven. Which, by the way, is exactly what they believed, right? From their minor prophets? They're like, oh yeah, that's what the Messiah is going to do. We know that. We don't disagree with that. And then the high priest tore his clothes and said, he has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look, you've heard the blasphemy. How dare he cite Scripture when we ask for theology? We believe in the prophets so much that we absolutely can't believe that what they prophesied about could possibly be coming true. He's speaking against the prophets. How so? He's saying he's the Messiah. What if he is? How dare you say that? The Muslims, prophets say the, the Messiah is to come and we're still waiting on him. Why? Because we believe that. We believe so strongly in what we believe that we don't believe God when he speaks. What do you guys think, Caiaphas asked. He's worthy of death, they answered, which is, of course, what they'd already decided, right? Back in verse 59. And then they spit in his face, and they struck him with their fists, and others slapped him and said, Oh, prophesy to us, who, who who hit you? Who struck you? These are your lawmakers, people. a lot of our Washingtonian and Springfieldians are not that much different today rabidly saying, let me slam anything that's different than me. Sadly, I'll say some of our pastors, some of our churches. We get so into hating the people we disagree with and so into pressing our own issue that we miss the point of what God is trying to say. When life comes at us, and, and I guarantee it will, children, when life comes at you, when the world comes down on you, Don't respond in kind. Tit for tat, offensiveness for offensiveness. Don't say they started it. Don't say they screamed at me, so I screamed back. They yelled at me, I yelled back. They poked at me, I poked back. They slapped me, I slapped them back. They took my cloak, I took theirs. Don't, don't do what the world does and try to wrap it in worshipful words as if somehow you're doing something different. Don't defend God in such a way that you abandon God in the process. Don't believe so strongly in what you believe that you stop believing in what God is telling us to do. There's what you know. There's what you actually know well. There's what you know about what you should be doing with what you know. And then there's what you actually end up doing when you're faced with trials of many kinds. It's hard, but let me encourage you, all of us, to respond in ways that run contrary to our nature in this place. Because we have been given a better nature. We're not supposed to be beaten into this world's shape. We're not supposed to be conformed into this world's shape. We're supposed to be transformed transformed by the renewing of our minds. We're supposed to be transformed on a daily basis. We're supposed to be following our, our nature that will be our nature for eternity. Not just the nature that we mirror from this place. And I guarantee, because you are human, this is something you need to listen to. Because I know I do. This isn't something just the people on the other side of the building need to be hearing. I'm reminded that Jesus had a little brother, and it's a little brother who learned alongside of him and alongside their dad and their dad's workshop as kids. And Christ's little brother James said, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, which makes no sense, except that it really does. It really does. Because he says, consider it pure joy because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. When Peter and the disciples had the opportunity to persevere that night in Gethsemane, they didn't. And they were weaker. And the next thing we saw from Peter, he was weaker still and slashed at somebody. And the next time we saw Peter, he was weaker still and kept lying about whether or not he knew Jesus until he became a broken man. When Jesus felt, at his lowest, when Jesus felt that he was being attacked by the world, and when Jesus faced his trials in Gethsemane that night, he persevered. And his human habit said, I don't want to do this. But even his humanness was strengthened. Consider it joy. Not that it's fun, but consider it joy because that's how you develop perseverance. And perseverance is going to finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So if, for instance, any of you lacks wisdom, that God-given ability to see life with rare objectivity and to handle life with rare stability, what should you do? If any of you lacks wisdom, Jesus' little brother says, he should pray should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. When you face trials, pray. Pray that you can have the joy that comes from having the wisdom, that comes from having the faith to believe in God enough that you actually believe God, that you can have joy in the midst of many trials. But when you ask, when he asks, this person has to believe and not doubt because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. You're going to yabbit yourself to death. Yeah, but I, this time is, you, this, this is big. You don't, yeah, but you don't understand what I'm, yeah, but I could have yesterday. You can yabbit himself or herself into thinking that they're, 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 they're being holy by not being holy. Yeah, but the best way I can help you is by poking that person that's trying to poke Jesus. By doing worldly things and wrapping them in worship trappings and pretending that it's holy. As we read before in Matthew's Gospel, Luke says, At daybreak, the council of the elders of the people, the Sanhedrin, they met together and Jesus was led before them. They'd already decided to put him to death. And if you're the Christ, they said, Just tell us, just tell us plain and clear. And Jesus said, You know, if I tell you, you're not going to believe me. You're too busy believing what you already believe to listen to God and believe him. And if I ask you, you wouldn't answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. And that's from whence, come from the clouds of heaven. And they all asked, are you then the Son of God? Not just the Messiah, but God's own Son. And he said, you are right in saying, I am. Even that phrase, I am. Just been offensive. Nobody should say, I am. Only God is the great I am. I am. And they said, why do we need any more testimony? We have heard it from his own lips and the whole assembly rose and led him off to Pilate and that's where we'll pick it up next week. Let's see if God drops the ball. Let's see if Jesus changes his tomb when he's facing Rome. Hint, he doesn't actually. Because his character isn't going to change, right? Oh, spoilers. Don't no, forget what I said. Erase that. Erase that. Mute it. Mute it. He doesn't change. He never changed. Jesus isn't going to be changing. His character doesn't morph to fit the circumstances. Go there and do likewise. Amen? Dear Lord, I thank you so much. I thank you for the consistent picture you give us of of a life lived by character, of a life lived by faith, of a life lived by wisdom, strength, not strength of arms, not strength of gutsiness, but the ability to know where to stand and to take that stand. So I pray, Lord, help us to trust in you. Help us to know your heart, to seek your face, and to put our confidence in that. Give us this day what we need today just to get through today. In Jesus' name, amen.